Well, good morning, church. May grace and peace be yours in abundance. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today, and we thank you that your grace and your peace is abundantly flowing. Even during this crisis, we have the grace of the living Lord. And so, Lord, we thank you for these precious gifts. And we ask, Lord, that today, as we look into your word, that you would apply your word to our hearts, so that our hearts would be strangely warmed by your word, but also that we would be prepared to move forward and do as we're called to do. And so, Father, we pray that you would anoint me, that I might speak your word in power and in truth, and we pray, Lord, that you anoint us all, that we would hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches this morning. But we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I feel like there's a lot more optimism regarding uh, COVID-19 these days than there was, you know, a couple months back even. Uh, I think people have gotten used, used to it and kind of hopeful about it. And, uh, you know, I remember when the lockdown was first announced on March 15th, it seemed like depression just kind of settled down on Ottawa. Uh, but I find like now it feels like it's lifting. Now, without trying to be negative, uh, this newfound optimism kind of runs contrary to the facts, actually. I mean, check out this graph. Here's uh, November 15th, uh, not November, sorry, uh, March 15th right here. Next slide. Yeah, there it is. So we had 75 cases of COVID-19 when the lockdown started, and so we're all afraid, but there's only 75 people that were confirmed with coronavirus. Now, we have uh, two months later, there's 1,865 that have had it. Uh, most of them have recovered, but there's still four or 500 that are, have the virus in our city. And so uh, that means that there's like five times more likely that you'll be in contact with someone now than at the beginning of the crisis when the lockdown happened. And now we're opening up. So I'm not so optimistic. Um, but you know what? I think of this phrase that was coined 200 years ago, hope springs eternal. And that's why I think people have hope today. They're looking forward to the future, even though, yeah, there's some bad things happening and people have died and are dying, and it's still scary. But hope springs eternal in the human heart. And God designed people to have hope, that they would push forward, that they would always think, well, tomorrow's going to be better. There's going to be something that works. And so hope springs eternal. And today we're starting a, a sermon series that's entitled that very thing, Hope Springs Eternal, um, because we cannot function without hope, without this sense that there's something to live for, something to be gained, something that's going to happen. And we can't live. Chuck Swindoll says, it's as important to us as water to, is to a fish, as vital as electricity is to a light bulb, as essential as air is to a jumble jet. Hope is that basic to life. Now, if you have dreams and aspirations, you have hope. But if you never stay, you, but you will never stay on that road to those dreams if you lose hope. When, sometimes when, when people flunk out of high school or college, they lose hope. They just go, oh, I can never be what I want it to be. The belief 
that the dream is possible keeps the hope alive, and that hope uh, empowers us and motivates us to, uh, to live out our dreams. Hopelessness is actually a killer of dreams. It kills off motivation, kills off enthusiasm, it snuffs out purpose and fulfillment. How often does hopelessness or some form of it appear on suicide notes? It's terrible. Remove hope, and you're left somewhere between depression and despair. A good while back, there was this fisherman who loved the sea. He was rugged, tough, strong-willed, determined guy, and didn't mind telling you what's what either. Some people considered him determined. Others, just obnoxious. But when it came to friendships, this crusty sea dog was loyal to a fault. Add his loyalty to his courage and his confidence, and it's not surprising that this old salt would readily pledge his commitment to his best friend, heart and soul. In fact, this one time, to express his, his dependability to his best friend, he pledged his allegiance by, allegiance by telling his best friend that he would stick to him no matter what. Come imprisonment, come death, nothing was going to break his commitment. But that best friend who happened to be Jesus, said this in return. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith might not fail. And when you have turned back, that you would strengthen your brothers. But Peter replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, Before the rooster crows today, you'll deny that you even know me three times. Well, assured and self-confident, Peter was sure that no such thing was going to happen. That was just not him. But Jesus warned him a few more times. Pray that you don't fall into temptation. And a few minutes later, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And later that night, they seized Jesus and took him to Caiaphas' house. And Peter followed at a distance and joined those sitting around the fire. And while he was sitting there, a servant girl says to him, Hey, aren't you uh, also with him? And Peter said, Woman, I don't know him. And later someone said to him, Hey, you're one of them. And Peter said, Man, I'm not. I guess he started the whole 60s man thing, you know. (laughs) But about an hour later, someone asserts, certainly this fellow was with him because he's a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, a rooster nearby crowed. And the Lord Jesus himself turned and looked directly at Peter. Suddenly those words that Peter had heard Jesus speak to him earlier? Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times? They hit him like a ton of bricks. And Jesus, look. Oh! And Peter just rushed outside and wept bitterly. Oh, how the self-assured has, has fallen. He talked about hitting rock, rock bottom, caught in the grip of hopelessness. The effect on Peter was destruction of his emotional core. That look from Jesus playing over and over in his mind the next few days. A look of, I warned you. The look of, 
How could you, Peter? The look of just disappointment. All of those things just running through Peter's mind over and over again. And then the words ringing in his ears. Before the rooster crows tonight, you will disown me three times. Talk about deceival. Talk about being thrown into despair. And then on top of all of that, on top of all the fact that he was an absolute failure, he failed his friend, then they crucified his friend. Crucified his Lord. And for Peter, all hope was lost. It was like a stake driven into his heart. How could he carry on? His whole life had been turned upside down. He thought he was on the cusp of, of a great revolution where he'd be Jesus' right-hand man and the new kingdom would be ushered in and it would be a glorious time. They'd overthrow the Romans. But now his king was dead. And he had disowned his king. In the very moment, the crucial moment when Jesus needed him, he denied him. Oh, crushed, humiliated by his failure, Peter lost all hope of the future. Have you ever been crushed by hopelessness? I consider myself a pretty positive, upbeat person, mostly optimistic. But I remember a time in my life that my life was totally crushed by hopelessness. It was the most terrifying experience of my entire life. Far more terrifying than the times I thought I was going to die. That's nothing compared to these few moments of absolute hopelessness. You see, I had made a really stupid decision. I decided to shoot some huge cascading cataracts with my, on the Madawaska River with my young son, 13 years old. Donning bright blue uh, life jackets, we hopped into our plastic canoe and charged the first eight-foot eight waterfall. And uh, after we, <laughs> we went after that one, didn't go so well after the first one there. Our canoe was half full of water. We were actually then going backwards over the next cataract. And uh, we went over that next one, and instead of the canoe being half full of water, it just flipped over and dumped us unceremoniously into the Madawaska ra- River. And the raging waters just gripped us and ripped everything loose off us. Our shoes, our glasses were gone. Our, my wedding ring, zing, gone into the river. Uh, <sighs> the power of that river is unbelievable. I've never experienced anything like that before. The torrent just ripping at us. And as we were swept down the river, uh, suddenly I saw there below me, amongst the rocks on the bottom of the the river, this flash of bright blue of the color of our, our life jackets down there. And suddenly I realized, as helplessly as I was swept away, that my son was down there stuck in the rocks or something or by some back current or something and there was absolutely nothing I could do. I had killed my own son. That knowledge swept over me. Unbelievable. I never, it, was, it was absolutely terrifying. I was completely, completely without hope. The weight of killing my son had ripped, ripped me apart, really. 
And it was so unbearable that I instantly realized that I would have to kill myself. It was like I had no reason to live on. Life without him would be horrid. And it was my fault. Luckily, that feeling only lasted 11 seconds. Because then I looked up and there was my son swimming at the bottom of the cataracts. I was still floating down. He was already right out of the rapids and everything. He was swimming after the canoe, busted canoe, and after the paddles and everything else that was all over the place. (laughs) God was merciful. But those 11 seconds felt like an eternity. Absolutely unbelievable. And when I think of how Peter had absolute hopelessness for three days, I don't know how he survived. I really don't. Maybe today you're feeling hopeless. Maybe you're fearing fearing for the future, this pandemic that has brought our world to its knees. The uncertain future has brought despair into your life. Or maybe it's the stinging loss of a loved one that you've experienced, or some other loss, a crushing defeat maybe, uh, a, a failure of something. But hopelessness has set in. Perhaps you're struggling with the inability to overcome a sinful habit. You've called out to the Lord for help, but you feel like Paul when he said, I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I want to do, this I do. The, the evil that I don't want to do, I'm sorry, this I do. A prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What? A wretched man that I am. I don't know about you, but I've felt like that before. Just absolutely despairing, disparaging, trying to get over something, trying to fix something. When this happens, maybe you feel just like Jesus. Just like when Jesus, I'm sorry, just like Peter, when Jesus turned to him and looked at him with that disapproving look. That look that said, I told you. I warned you, and here you are, sinning against me. I don't know if you've ever felt that sting of disappointing the one you love. Maybe you've wept bitterly like Peter. I've wept bitterly. But then fallen again? Hopelessness and despair settling in like the misty rain clouds over over Vancouver. No sign of relief of that gloom in the long-term forecast. Believe me, Peter's been there, done that. I've been there, done that. That crusty sea dog was broken by overwhelming hopelessness during those days after he denied his Lord. And Peter, having denied the Lord, even, even after seeing Jesus do amazing miracles, healing lepers, raising up the, the lame and the, the, the blind given sight, even raising the dead. But you know what? Peter still denied him. And hopelessness had settled in. But this morning, I'd like to draw your attention to the words that this very same fisherman penned in the opening remarks of a letter written to the Christians of Asia Minor. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead 
Amen, amen. If Peter, the denier, the one who had lost hope, can proclaim a living hope, well, then living hope springs eternal through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice how, how Peter is filled with praise to God and, the, the, and God and his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, it's amazing. He's just filled with this joyful blessing. He just pours it out to God. And he reminds his readers of God's gracious gift of mercy, salvation. Peter states that the believers were given a living hope, something that lives, it's exciting, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What exactly is a living hope? That's what I want to answer for the rest of our time together here. I just want to focus on these words. What is this living hope that this once hopeless man is talking about? Well, there's some clues in this passage. Uh, notice that Peter states that this is a new birth. That, that it's because of God's great mercy has given us a new birth that ends up being a living hope. It's part of that, um, the, the, the reality that we've been born again. Remember when Jesus talked to Nicodemus? Nicodemus had came, come to him at night and talked about the fact that he knew that he was from God. And Jesus said, well, you need to be born again. Born again? And Nicodemus is all confused. What, what am I supposed to enter back into my mother's womb? How in the world is this possible? I, that's impossible. But Jesus was talking about a rebirth from within of the Spirit. And so if you want to have living hope, you've got to have the new birth. Those two things kind of go together. And notice again uh, that being born, and born, the new birth is... Uh, the salvation that it is, is a gift from God. It's something he has given us. It's not just something that we earn, you know, we don't go out there and, oh, I'm going to get right with God by doing right, and I'm going to stop sinning and start blessing people. No, this is, this is a gift. This new birth is given to us. Salvation is given to us. Um, notice that it says, because of his great mercy, his great mercy. This is a gift given because God is merciful. He just says, I want to bless you. I want to bless Christians. And so salvation changes who we are. The Bible says that we're changed by God. We become new people. The old is gone. The new has come, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17. We are dead to sin and alive to righteousness in Christ Jesus, according to Romans 6. Notice it is by mercy or grace that we've been saved. It's great mercy. God pours mercy or grace into our lives and gives us new life, and that causes the living hope. So it's new birth that came about by mercy. Uh, uh, the gift of mercy is given by God, and this serves to give us this hope, this living hope. The assurance of our salvation. Peter is called the apostle of hope by many Bible commentators. And in this passage, Peter links our new birth, our salvation, and this idea of a living hope. The hope Peter speaks about is not wishful thinking. Uh, you know, we usually think about 
when we think of the word hope today, we're thinking, well, I'm, I'm hoping, in other words, I'm wishing that it'll be a nice day today. I'm, I'm hoping that it doesn't rain, or I hope I pass the test today. This kind of thing is kind of like wishful thinking. But, but uh, Peter uses the Greek word here for hope, uh, elipis, sorry, <laughs> Uh, Elipis is translated hope in English, but in Greek it conveys this eager, confident, confident expectation. So the idea Peter here is, is uh, conveying is more on the side of the expectation of hope than the wishful thinking side of hope, because hope kind of has those two things. But it's more of the expectant side of things. Uh, and, but we've got to ask, well, how is this a living hope? Well, this hope uh, of the believer is not only living, but it's also lively. That's how the King James actually uh, translates it. It says, it's a, it's a lively hope. In other words, it has a life of its own. The hope itself is kind of alive. And the CEV translates the phrase, a hope that lives on. It's kind of like this hope that just carries on and on. It's unlike the dead hope of this world. This is a living hope. It's energized. It's alive and active in the soul of the believer. We live with great expectation, as the New Living Translation puts it. Our living hope originates from a living, resurrected Savior. Peter's hope is actually Jesus Christ himself, as you can see in the last part of the verse. The apostle is speaking to Christians who are suffering persecution in Asia, Asia Minor. If we go back up to verse 1, it says uh, that P- Peter is writing, he, Peter's an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he's writing to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. I've got a little map to show you where that is. Uh, so we got Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Uh, all there. And, and so this is basically modern-day Turkey, uh, Asia Minor, we also know it as. Uh, it's right between the Mediterranean Sea and the Black Sea, and that's where that took place. Amazing country. Uh, I once took a trip there and was able to walk right where Paul walked during his time there. It was amazing to see it. Uh, anyways, I want to go back to that verse and just point out how, God, how Peter describes the people he's writing to. Um, he says, God's elect. Now, this, this really applies to us, right? We've been chosen to give us new birth. It's not like, like God uh, saw, oh, oh, there's someone who's doing really good. Uh, I'm, I'm going to bless him. No, God just decided before we were born, when we had done nothing good or evil, God decided, I'm going to choose that one and that one and him and her and that one over there. And God has chosen us and elected us for new birth. Woohoo! We have been chosen. We're special. But notice the next word he uses exiles scattered. <laughs> Hold it a sec. We're chosen to be exiled and scattered? It's, it's like, I, I thought this was a good thing, you know, that God chose us to. And, and he calls us his sons and our, our, his daughters. And really, when we understand it, we're chosen so that we would have a place to be with him in glory and that we would one day be united with God again and Jesus Christ. And we, who was the firstborn among the brothers. So he, Jesus is the first one who rose from the dead and, and we're supposed to be with him. So that's what makes us God elect. 
But he addresses them as not only elect, but also exiles scattered. Exiles are people that have been kicked out. They've been excluded from the group. You ever been kicked out or excluded because you're a believer? I've had that experience. Guys are telling dirty jokes in the corner. They don't really want me around. When I share my opinions about abortion or about homosexuality, those opinions aren't appreciated and unwanted, and people just ignore me and just push me aside. We may be chosen, but we're also exiles. We're aliens in this world. This world is not our home. And so we're scattered about, we're considered... Uh, the scum of the earth sometimes you know these these uh, christians who were scattered throughout asia minor they were considered the scum of the earth the people around them were against them and and uh, persecution was mounting and peter is writing them to encourage them while they're going through these trials their future he says is secure because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Their hope was in his victory over death and his resurrected life. Whatever the persecuted believers would face in this world was not compared, not to be compared with the blessings of the future resurrection and the life of of eternity that was coming for them. Um, Living hope is anchored in Jesus Christ. It's anchored in Christ's past, something that he did before. He rose from the dead. And it's anchored in Christ's present. Jesus Christ is alive right now. That's why it's a living hope. He's living right now. He lives in my heart. He lives in his church. He lives in heaven. And it endures forever. Jesus said that the life he gives is life eternal. This resurrected life is something that Jesus is living right now. And that's why it's a living hope. Because Jesus rose to life. Is living and promised life in heaven. Living hope enables us to live without despair no matter what we encounter. Trials, suffering, anything. Pandemics. We can face it with absolute hope because we know this world is not our home. We're actually exiles here. We're going to be going home later. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light of affliction producing for us an abundantly incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Uh, Praise God for those great words. The object of our living hope is described in 1 Peter 1, verse 4, the very next verse to the one we've been looking at. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you awesome this is because jesus rose from the dead we have an inheritance that cannot be touched by death it's imperishable it can't be stained by evil it's undefiled or it can't fade with time now it's unfading and it's death proof sin proof age proof this inheritance is fail proof because god preserves it and guards it and it's already in heaven for us it's absolutely secure nothing can undermine the certainty of our future inheritance praise the lord 
People cannot survive long without hope. But this is our hope. We have the hope of heaven, the hope of a resurrected Lord. And hope keeps us going through painful experiences. It keeps us going no matter what the fears are for the future. In a fallen world where people face poverty, disease, hunger, injustice, coronavirus, disaster, war, terrorism, all we need is living hope. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, verse 12, those who don't have Jesus Christ have no hope. Oh, what a terrible thing it is to be without hope. But believers are blessed with real and substantial hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. By the power of God's word and the indwelling Holy Spirit, this living hope quickens our minds and souls, according to Hebrews 4.12. It changes our thoughts, our words, our actions. Once dead in our sins, we now are alive with new hope. Uh, by our resurrection, we have already been raised from the dead, believe it or not. Uh, we, we died to sin during our baptism, and we've been raised to life again during our baptism. Um, not only the baptism of water, but the baptism of, by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. The believer's living hope is absolutely solid and secure. The, Hebrews 6 verse 19 says, We who take hold of the hope set before us uh, may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Jesus Christ is our Savior, our salvation, our living hope. So you've got to ask yourself, how could Peter, the one who wept so bitterly, having lost all hope after denying the Lord and learning that Jesus was crucified, be the one to write these words, these encouraging words of hope? Can this be the same man? Well, I want to tell you a little bit about this man. After his absolute uh, hopelessness that lasted three days, there were some women who went to the tomb of Jesus. And when they came there, they discovered that it was empty except for this angel that was in there. And the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified? He is risen. He is not here. See the place where he is laid? But go and tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Did you see that? And Peter. Tell the disciples, and Peter. This angel singles out Peter for this message from Jesus. I'm going ahead of you to Galilee. I wonder how Peter felt about being singled out. Judas, the betrayer, was already dead and gone. But Peter, the denier, was still alive. Wasn't well, but he was alive. And Jesus starts reaching out to him the moment he comes back to life. Do you remember the words to Peter even before he denied Jesus? Remember we, we read these earlier. Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith would not fail. And when you have turned back, straighten, strengthen your brothers. When you've turned back. 
Jesus was giving a prediction here that Peter would turn back. There was hope for Peter. Jesus knew that Jesus knew that Peter was destroyed by this. And these two things point point out that Jesus was giving him that chance. Do you know that even before you sin, even before the hopelessness sets in, God already knows. God already has a plan to bring you back. God is working behind the scenes. <laughs> Hallelujah. When we fail miserably in our sin, God is working there to bring us back. And he says to Peter, even before it happens, when you come back, strengthen your brothers. When you come back, I still have work for you to do. You're not done. You're still going to lead the church. You're still my man, Peter, even though you deny me three times. And so Peter became the apostle of hope. Praise God. <laughs> Do you ever get that feeling where you're kind of living between the crucifixion and the resurrection? You just, you just lost all hope? Well, don't give up. Sunday's coming. Jesus is coming back for you. Jesus has concern for you. And he wants to give you hope. He's calling out your name. Peter, come back. John, come back. Elizabeth, come back. And strengthen my brethren. I've got ministry for you to do. Don't stay there in that hopelessness. We have a great hope there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And so I want to encourage you today to stay tuned to this sermon series that we're going to be doing throughout the summer. Hope springs eternal through Jesus Christ, our Savior. May God richly bless you. Amen.